Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 3. Uh, we're going to continue our series walking through the book of James, which is just such an amazing book, isn't it? It's been such a great study, so practical, so helpful for us. Um, I admit I'm not the smartest knife in the drawer, and so James is so helpful for me because it takes some of the uh, thought, not necessarily the thought, you still have to use your mind and still have to be a thinker, but it makes it so much easier. Oh, oh, that makes sense. That's very practical. And so I'm looking forward to that uh, this morning. Last week, Pastor Todd discussed the first part of chapter 3 with us, which is taming the tongue. This morning, we are going to look at the next paragraph of the chapter. This morning's text is about wisdom and what wisdom looks like. We've titled it, What Wisdom Wears. But I don't want you to miss the connection between the two topics of wisdom and the tongue. Wisdom and how you use your tongue, they go hand in hand. It's the same conversation. It's the same thought process. Wise people use their tongues well. Unwise people use their tongues poorly. So our sermons should have a lot of similarities today. I want you to see that. A tame tongue is an imperative or is an implication, I'm sorry, of a wise person. Does that make sense? It's the same train of thought, the same conversation. So kids, we are going to talk about wisdom today, but really we're going to talk about the tongue as well and how the tongue fits into this category. Let me read our text for you this morning and then we will dive right in. James chapter 3, we're going to read verses 13 through 18 for you. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace." That's our text for this morning. I want to walk you through it and help you see what I believe is the main point of our text. Hey, uh, kids, I need your help for a second. Where are my kindergartners? Can the kindergartners stand up? Any kindergartners in here? What about first grade? First grade, you can join them. First grade, stand up. Kindergartners and first graders? All right, we got a few. I need your help, so stay standing, okay? The rest of the kids, this is on your sheet, but I just need you guys to be a little bit loud and yell out the answers, okay? So I have a question for you. I'm going to throw three pictures up on the screen here. I want you to look at these pictures. I want you to tell me which one of these three is the king. The middle. The middle. Good job. How did, how did you know that was the king? What, what about him signified that he was a king? The crown. Absolutely. Good job. Let's throw another one up there. Okay? Which one is the astronaut? The last one, the one on the far right. Why? How did you know? He's wearing a white suit. Yeah, he's wearing a suit that will help him in an environment with very low oxygen. Absolutely. He has an astronaut helper. Good. We got one more. One more. Which one is the basketball player? Which one? 
The first one? The one on the left or one in the middle? The one on the left. Yeah, the one on the left. How did you know? How did you know that was the basketball player? Yeah, you see somebody with a basketball there. Yeah. All right. Good job. I have one more for you. It's a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more tricky, so keep your, uh, keep your thinking caps on. Here we go. Which one of these is a wise person? The one on the right. Oh. Because <laughs> that's your mom. How, how, how do you... <laughs> yeah, good answer. You're going to get a bonus present for Christmas. How do, how do you know? How do you know, based upon these three pictures, which one is the wise individual? It's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? That's a little bit more difficult of a question. Because there's nothing absolutely obvious in a picture that you can tell, that you can look at and say, oh, that screams wisdom. It's a little bit more difficult. Now, I think Mr. RJ is pretty wise because he cheers for the University of Michigan. And I think that's a pretty wise thing to do. But I can't prove that. So, so that's what our text is going to be today. I think James is going to show us today what a wise person looks like. Because there's nothing absolutely obvious or something that you can say, oh, this is absolutely a wise person. Look at this, at least from a photograph. So today, James is going to help us uh, see this. This morning, the book of James is going to teach us what a wise person looks like. But more than that, he's going to teach us how to discern between a truly wise person and someone who just thinks they are wise. Then he's going to point us towards how we can be wise. He's not going to tell us how to be wise, like three steps, do this. He's going to point us towards how we can be wise. This particular part of James isn't specifically practical. It's more descriptive. It doesn't tell you what to do to be wise. It more is going to show you what a wise person looks like. There are some practical things that you can take out of this text, no doubt. But you need to work a little bit harder. You need to look a little bit harder in order to see those. They are more implied than they are obvious. Compared to a lot of James, which is very practical, which is very obvious, this text is a little bit more difficult and tricky. So I have a question for you, going back to what we talked about last week. How do you tame the tongue? I think you tame the tongue by understanding wisdom. Understanding that the taming of the tongue falls under a bigger idea, which is wisdom. We'll talk a lot about wisdom today, and then we'll bring it back to the idea of the tongue at the end. So how do you know? How do you know what a wise person looks like? How do you know if you're talking to a a wise individual? I want to use an illustration for you. On the screen behind me are two pictures of $20 bills. I think this will be helpful for you. One of them is fake. Can you tell? Can you tell which one is fake? The bottom one. How can you tell? It's got a marker on it. Yeah, that's, that's the giveaway. If you've ever worked in retail or ran a cash register, they give you a marker, and you can kind of see the marker line. That, that gives away. You're right. But I've heard it said this way before. 
In order to spot a fake, you need to be so familiar with the right thing, with the authentic, with the real, so that any time a fake is put in your hand, this is true of money, you need to be so familiar with the real, the authentic, so that any time a fake comes across your path, it just, it's misplaced. Something's wrong. It screams fake to you. So I've heard that people that work with money a lot, they don't study fakes. They study the authentic. They want to know what the real $20 bill feels like and, and looks like and smells like. And I have no idea. But they need to study the real thing so well so that when a fake comes across their path, it's just, whoa, something's wrong. This is not the thing. This is true for merchandise, isn't it, adults? You can tell a real and authentic, maybe a Rolex. There's just something significant or something authentic about it when you have it. And then when a fake comes across your path, it's, this feels cheap. I think that's what wisdom is going gonna, is gonna to play out to be. For me, it's Coke and Pepsi. I love Coke. And when a restaurant's like, yeah, 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 it's the same thing. He asked for a Coke, here's a Pepsi. I know Coke so well, I think I do, that when a Pepsi comes across my palate, it's, get this, you liar. No tip for you, right? I think I know a Coke really well. I think that we're going to talk about it. So I think this is what James is doing for us. He's going to teach us what a truly wise person looks like acts like, values, so that when you see something else, you instantly know it's a fake. He's going to teach us what real wisdom is, so when an imposter comes across your path who tells you he's wise, you're like, this is not wisdom. I'm not sure what this is, but this is not wisdom. A quick heads up. What James is going to tell us, I think, is not what you would expect, What he's going to point out as wisdom is not what you would expect. And it might be even a little offensive. What James shares with us in this section is so otherworldly that many of the, the things that it says are going to seem crazy, weird, and maybe even stupid for people living in America in the year 2016. But I believe that for those who know and love Christ, this will make complete sense and bring you a sense of joy. So there will be a difference. So what wisdom wears? Let's dive into our text today. What wisdom wears? Three descriptions of real wisdom compared to false wisdom. Point number one, it comes from verses 13 and 14. It is this. A truly wise person loves and cares for others. Unwise people only love and care for themselves. Verses 13 and 14 paint this picture for us. It says that a wise person, a a biblical wisdom, a godly wisdom displays itself in these categories. Good conduct, works, and meekness. It's telling us that a person is, who is truly wise is a person who understands they have everything they really need and therefore can give everything else they have away to help others. It's the difference between somebody who is constantly giving 
and a person who's constantly grabbing. Those are the two blanks on your sheet, kids. It's the difference between a person who is constantly giving. That's a wise person, a giver, a benevolent person, somebody who is, is charitable. That's a wise person. And an unwise person is somebody who's constantly grabbing, trying to get more. An unwise person, it, it describes them as this, bitter jealousy. I want what you have. And selfish ambition, I want more. An unwise person is a person who has false wisdom. They believe this, that life is about gaining more, building bigger, and holding on to. Therefore, they want what you have and always fight to get more. That's what he's saying is the difference between a wise person and an unwise person. A wise person gives, an unwise person grabs. Let's go back to the tongue real quick and explain how the tongue fits into this. For the tongue, a wise person uses their tongue to bless others. They give with their tongue. An unwise person uses their tongue to hurt others. They use the tongue to make themselves lifted up high, to praise themselves. They're not going to praise you. So think about how crazy the statement is that I just shared with you. What I just shared with you, or what James just shared with us, is that a wise person will always be giving away what they have. An unwise person will always aim to gain more, build bigger, and store up. This statement is such an offense to the world we live in, isn't it? The world we live in says, do the exact opposite of this. But James tells us this is exactly what godly wisdom looks like. Children, did you know that there are adults who have never learned to share? Did you know that there are adults who don't play well with others? The Bible calls them unwise. I think we can all understand that. James is saying it will be pretty easy to spot a truly wise person. Look for someone who is constantly giving what they have away. That is radical. That is radical today. You want to see the wisest person in the world? Look for the person who has nothing because they've given everything away. Quick illustration. I have a grandma, very godly, awesome grandma. All my life I heard stories just about how crazy she was. One of the stories was when she was a widow and for the rest of her life she just lived alone once her kids went off to college and she was constantly giving everything she had away to the place where her children were scared for her. So one story was she was at church and a missionary showed up and the missionary was on furlough trying to raise support and minister to the churches that support him and they're like, hey, please pray for us. Um, We don't have a car. We got back here. We got back to the place we're going to live but we don't have a vehicle in order to travel to these churches that we need to go. At the end of the service, my grandma took her keys and threw them the keys and said, there you go, this vehicle's yours. The Bible says that's really wise. What would the world say? You're crazy. That doesn't work that way. You don't understand. That's ridiculous. The Bible calls that wisdom. Point number two. Verses 16 and 17 tell us that a truly wise person makes the world around them better. An unwise person makes the world around them more chaotic. So here's a question for you. What does wisdom 
produce or make? What does wisdom produce or make? Look at your text. Kids on your sheet, there's a little T-chart. I'm going to give you some words, or James, if you look in verses 16 and 17, James is going to give you some words to define the different ones. False wisdom, he uses these words in verses 16. He says, false wisdom is disorder and vile practice. Kids, you can write those two words down. Disorder and vile practice. Or I'm going to use the words chaos and sin. Chaos and sin. Chaos. These are people that create chaos wherever they go. They hurt the people they are around. They constantly offend. They constantly run over people in order to get their way or to prove they're right. This person's agenda is always the most important thing, no matter the collateral damage. You know people like that? Vile practice. This is, they are always looking to please themselves. That's what vile practice is. Whatever makes me happy is what I'm going to do. Right or wrong doesn't matter. Making me feel good is all that matters. Which includes a variety of sins, does it not? When that is your focus on life, make me happy. Then a variety of sins are at your disposal. Why do they create this? Why do they create chaos? Why is vile practice part of their life? Because for them, sin is normal. Sin is their default. And what does sin create? It always, sin always creates disorder and chaos. Always. Sin never makes things better. Did you know that? Sin never makes things better. Sin always makes things worse. This might be one of the greatest lies that we believe. That if I sin, things will be better for me. Isn't that one of the greatest lies we believe? That if I sin, my life will be better. No, or I'll feel better. Or no, one of the greatest lies we believe. This is never the case. Sin is disobeying the order God created. And this always leads to disorder and chaos. That's the definition of sin. Disorder and chaos. Fighting the one who created order. That would be sin. And then in verse 17, kids, he talks about real wisdom or the opposite. And he uses these words. Look in your text, verse 17. He uses purity, peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's what real wisdom creates. That's what real wisdom produces. This person is constantly making their environment better and more beautiful. Always helping other people. They're peacemakers. They bring unity. They discuss and disagree well. And they're long-suffering. They know how to endure. Why is this? Because that is the result of obeying God. Those are the results of obeying God. Paul tells us in Galatians that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love. And aren't these all just descriptive words or another way of saying love? All these words, you could just sum up with one word, love. So our text is telling us that a truly wise person's goal, their goal in life is to love people and to make their world more lovely. An unwise person's goal is to please themselves 
And sin accomplishes that. So sin away. If that's the goal of my life, to make me happy, and sin accomplishes that, man, I'm going to sin whenever I have the opportunity. Again, this statement is crazy to the world we live in. It says this, if it comes down to pleasing yourself or pleasing others, always choose to please others. Isn't that crazy? That's not the world we live in. He's saying that's true wisdom. You want to know a wise person when you see one? Look for someone who's always helping others. That's the wise individual, not the one who's trying to gain for themselves. Man, that's weird. That's bizarre in the world we live to. We see moments of that, don't we? We hear sometimes about good things that individuals are doing, but as a goal for their life, my job is to make your life better. My purpose here on earth is to bless the world, not myself. That, that's crazy. Point number three, we're going to hop back to verse 15 now, because I think verse 15 is the, the culmination of this paragraph. It's the one that brings it all together. Point three, a truly wise person will always point you towards Jesus. An unwise person will always point you towards a person. Does that make sense? Oh, good. This is such a subtle phrase in this chapter, is it not? But it's, oh, so vitally important, verse 15 is. If you were to take away from this sermon so far that you should look out for others and make the world around you a better place in order to be wise, I would have failed you today. Because the text doesn't say that at all. That is why the final point today is so important. The text doesn't say be wise. It doesn't. It screams you desperately need to understand what real wisdom is. Because there are so many fakes out there. And you desperately need to understand where wisdom comes from. Because the world is pointing you towards the wrong source. Verse 15. What is the source of each wisdom? There's two different sources. It tells us about false wisdom. False wisdom at the end of verse 15. False wisdom comes from the earth. It is unspiritual and even demonic or like the demons. And then it says real wisdom. It's a real subtle phrase. Real wisdom, all it says is it comes from above. Not much more explanation. Doesn't really help us a whole lot there. It just says it's otherworldly. It comes from above. It's different. The source is different. Have you ever been to Barnes & Noble, a bookstore, maybe shopped on Amazon a little bit? I noticed this a couple of years ago. In Barnes & Noble, I was there uh, a couple of days ago, there are primarily, there's a bunch of different sections, uh, categories, but there's primarily two major different categories. There's self-help, and then there's religion. Students, have you been to, kids, have you been to Barnes & Noble, you see those two different ones? You see self-help, and you see religion, right? What is the main difference between those two sections of the store? Have you ever thought about it? The self-help and the religion. They're usually like in Barnes & Noble on, is it university? If you go to the right, you're headed towards the religion section. 
If you go to the left, you're headed towards the self-help section. What is the difference between those two sections? Let me give you my thoughts, okay? Self-help says you can better yourself by looking inside. You are the source of your help. The religion section says no. Now, there's garbage books in both categories. There's good books in both categories. Just the philosophy of the two different sections. The religion section says no. You can only better yourself by looking outside of yourself. Wisdom doesn't come from within. It doesn't even come from this world. It actually came down. It came down from above. Just like verses 15 and 18 say in your text. They're two different philosophies of life. It's two different philosophies of how to survive, of how to grow, of how to make it in this world. Self-help says, here, you, get to work. The religion section says, uh, you're a mess, you need help. And it comes from above. Two different philosophies. So the question that's the most important is, where does wisdom come from exactly? Because verse 15 is a little vague. It just says it comes from above. Now, we could get crazy and go with weird ideas, and and many have. Where does it come from exactly? We need a little bit of help. My preaching professor told me you're allowed one legal turn, which is you're allowed to make the congregation turn to one text, then you lose them. So this is my one legal turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I need everybody to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm allowed one. I won't do it again, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to start in verse 18. You should see a lot of things that sound familiar. It says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, Where is the one who is wise? Doesn't that sound exactly like James 3, 13? There's the question. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And that is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In this text, Paul is explaining to the church about what had happened not too long ago for them. You see, right before this time, there was this man. His name was Jesus. And he claimed to be God. And because he claimed to be God, the Romans and the Jews had him killed on a cross. The Romans had him killed because he opposed them. And the Jews had him killed because he claimed to be their king but didn't seem to be very kingly, like the pictures we put up here. So they thought he was a liar. But 
What this man told people was that he was going to be killed and that his death would take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus died, the world looked at him as foolishness. He's hanging on a cross. What a fool. But for those who believed that what he had said was true, they thought the cross was beautiful because it is that that saved them from their sins. So Paul in this text is explaining to these believers the difference between real wisdom and false wisdom. He says in verse 24 that Jesus Christ, that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is. He is the definition of the wisdom of God. He, you want to know what wisdom is? It is Jesus. They're not char- characteristics, not qualities. You want to know what wisdom is? That wisdom is Jesus. What a definition of wisdom. What is wisdom? Jesus Christ. That's the definition of wisdom. Verse 30 of the same chapter says, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from where? From God. Oh, that's really helpful. Because James 3 just says it comes from above. So we need a little bit more clarity. And so 1 Corinthians 1 says, no, it actually, it's come from God. So now we have a source. So now we can't get too weird on, well, it came from above and I think it's aliens. No, 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 no. We now know our true source. It's from God. So Paul and James are both saying, true wisdom are people who believe that Jesus' death is really good news. That's the wisest people in the world are people that understand that Jesus' death is really good news. And false wisdom are people who believe that Jesus was a fool. You want to know who the fools of the world are? People who mock Jesus. That's false wisdom. And those that know the truth, it's been told to them by God. That's where they got their wisdom from. Not from self-help books. From God. The word of God. So we see that all real wisdom is anything we receive from God. And what came from God? What came from God? Well, truth. Truth came from God. And God defines all truth. And God defines all wisdom. What else came from God? Well, Christ. Christ was sent by the Father from above to earth. That's what Philippians 2 teaches us. Christ is the ultimate wisdom from God. So those who are wise love Jesus because he is from above. What else came from God? Salvation, which is through Christ. This, these, these are truths. This is wisdom, and it all came from above. Our text today is teaching us that truly wise people are people who love and cherish Jesus. People who know that the wisest thing in the entire world is not themselves, but Jesus Christ who came from God. People who the mystery of Jesus has been revealed to them from the Father above. This is so amazing because the average person, this is craziness. But to those who believe, this is hope. This is hope. And this is good. This is good news. And then the last part, James chapter 3. We're back. Sorry I took you away from it. James chapter 3. The final statement in this paragraph says that those that sow in peace will have a harvest of righteousness. I'm from Pennsylvania. 
I don't know anything about agriculture. But I think Jesus is telling us that those who are wise will live wisely and the result of their wise living will be a harvest of righteousness or, or good. Wise people will produce good. So the opposite must be true as well. Those that sow in greed, in selfishness, in pride, they will reap a harvest of chaos. Everything around them will fall apart. Do you know people like that? Godly, wise people produce more peace as opposed to what we will talk about in chapter 4. So our take-home truth today, I want to talk about the tongue. Our take-home truth today is to tame the tongue requires godly wisdom. A destructive tongue is clear evidence of worldly wisdom. So what's bigger than the topic of the tongue? It's this topic of wisdom. Wisdom solves the problem of the tongue. That's the source for the solution to my wicked mouth, is I need more wisdom. I need to know Jesus better. Soon, at this moment, we're going to transition into a different time of our service, and that's communion. And this communion tables seem really weird to the world, don't they? You see, the Bible is filled with crazy, otherworldly sayings, isn't it? There are so many of these verses in the Bible that are just bizarre, that are just otherworldly, that seem to turn the, the way the world works upside down. They don't make a whole lot of sense to this world. And you could probably help me think of some of those, couldn't you? There's a lot of them. To the earthly wise, these verses are foolishness. Just crazy. Like your Bible is filled with ramblings. It doesn't make any sense. But those that understand true wisdom, that it comes from above, these verses are beautiful. Again, they're hope and they're life. Let me give you an example of one of these crazy verses. In John chapter 6, verses 54 and 55, it says this. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Imagine going to work tomorrow and reading that text to your unbelieving co-worker. Hey, I read a really good verse yesterday. Do you know if we eat Jesus' body and drink his blood, then we have eternal life? That'd be a weird conversation. But to those who believe, aren't those some of the greatest verses? Man, praise the Lord. That's truth. What we are about to do right now at the communion tables is either absolutely crazy and a waste of time or amazingly wise. It's one of the two. It's got to be one of the two. It can't be just nice. It's either weird and bizarre. This, is, this represents his body and this red juice. This represents his blood. That's either the weirdest thing in the world 
We should be locked up for being crazies, or this is the wisest thing we could do with our time. It's one or the other. Right now, we're going to transition into a time of communion where we will obey a command made by a man who claimed to be God 2,000 years ago. He told his followers to continue to meet together, and whenever you meet together, you ought to remember his death by eating bread and drinking wine. And when we do this, we are honoring and thanking him for his death on the cross for our sins. So if today you believe that all wisdom comes from above, I want you to obey Christ by just in a second going up to one of our communion tables, taking a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and in just a little while we will lead you in taking these elements. When you return to your seats, I think it'd be really wise for you to do these three things. One, pray. Thank Jesus for his sacrificial death for you on the cross. Two, parents, take your little children, gather them in real tight, and remind them about what you're going to do. Because it might seem crazy. And lastly, confess your sins to God and thank him for his forgiveness. Owning your sinfulness, owning your wretchedness, and running to the cross for forgiveness.